going on everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the watch report with me jean-luc welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another jam-packed episode for you today this this time covering the world of combat sports and because a bunch of stuff has happened last week tim Tazoo beating Mendoza, Johnny Beck destroying Gutierrez to claim the unified middleweight titles, and as of today, a couple hours ago, Showtime Boxing has pulled out of the sport, will pull out of the sport come December, that's right, no more Showtime Boxing for the, for, for the rest of eternity, potential. unless somebody, by some miracle, they make something happen, they're able to stay afloat, they're done, Paramount's pulling the plug on them, why is this happening, all of this is happening all over the, just the past couple of days, we're going to talk about it all right here on this show. So please leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know to build up this empire together. Absolutely. So we can get to 500 subscribers. We are 10 away. Your dog gone right. We right there. We 10 away. We were line, We were nine. Lost to one. But don't worry. We'll make them back. We will make it up. We'll make it back. I hope he comes on home or she comes on home. Whoever the world unsubscribe potentially. It's okay. Okay, it's all right, it's all good. We, as a community, we're still gonna fight on, we're still gonna come back, and we still are going to get to our goals. What, 500, then a thousand, and then who knows, a million, two million, making bank all night long. That's my goal, and my goal is also to entertain you, the viewing and listening public, because you all deserve it absolutely. And I deserve some moolah, if I'm being perfect, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest, not to sound conceited, but with all of that out the way, let's jump right into the world of boxing. And you know what that means? When we jump into boxing, it is time to step into the ring. That's right. Yes, sir. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one of this show underway. We have to talk about Showtime Boxing pulling out of the whole boxing field. Showtime Sports is no longer going to cover the boxing world. Come December. After 2023, it's kapoof. Gone, done, done away with, utterly shocking for the world of boxing, but not really, not really shocking for the world of boxing, because what the problem is and why this has came about, and again, I'm speculating, of course, there are people, many people, smarter than me on the business side of boxing, on the back end, understand the behind the scenes way more than me, absolutely, but in my humble opinion, the reason why this is happening it's because of the fact that this was a losing venture for Paramount. Hence, they had to cut back costs. Da, 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 they have a whole uh, um, explanation that they posted. Them and Steven Espinosa that they posted about why this is all happening. Who's who, who's fault? It well, not whose fault, but who in fact is the person that initiated this whole thing and all that. The, the back end, of, understandable, absolutely. There are many people that that maybe can explain. All the ins and outs better than me. But what I can say is that this is a sign of the times for the world of boxing. Not that it's a bad thing, but that it is something to be concerned about. One, apps are actually working. Apps are good. Fighting applications, boxing applications like the zone that many people scoffed at, laughed at, downgraded, and said would never work. Well, look who's standing now. Somebody, uh, uh, Upstart is now, is now legitimately potentially going to take the place of one of the most talked about, historically significant, and historically backed institutions in terms of a media outlet that shows boxing, shows the sport, has been one of the premier locations 
anybody to go buy and see fights. The name that is synonymous with boxing outside of HBO, Showtime. They've been doing this for 37 years, almost 40 years. And now, just like that, it ends in a whimper. Their last fight, I believe, being David Benavidez versus Boo Boo Andre. And then that's it. It's done. There's nothing else on the cards. Legitimately. This is, oh my gosh. This is bad. This is incredibly bad. But it's bad in the sense of it speaks on the whole of the sport. I say that because when you look at the sport of boxing, this has been one of the best years that boxing has had in a very, very, very long time. Big fights, left, right, and center. Spence and Crawford. Tank and Ryan Garcia. Benefit, I believe Benavidez and Caleb Plant. I believe that happened this year as well. A bunch of great, legitimately intriguing fights. Canelo fighting. We, everything was, was great. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. This was a year to behold in the world of, of fighting. Anyway, versus Fulton, I can go on and on and on. It was great, outright. But the situation, that was just, this was the only year. Normally in the sport of boxing, it's been, you don't get these major field fights very often, let alone all at once in one year. Thankfully, the stars aligned, but outside of that, it's been, it's incredibly hard to get people that we want to see in the ring, in the ring. Jamel, Jamel Charlo ain't been in the ring for a minute. Jamal Charlo ain't been in the ring for a minute. Caleb Plant, I believe it's since Benavidez hasn't fought in the ring again. Canelo, even though he likes to fight more consistently, fought once or twice this year. Tank only fought once this year. Ryan Garcia only fought, I, I believe, only fought once this year and just got named. No, excuse me. Outside of, yeah, outside of Tank Davis, both of them only fought. Yeah, yeah, I'm right, I'm right. Tank and Ryan only fought one time this year. That's it. And Ryan just got announced for his next fight, and I think it's happening next year or in December. But either way, such a long out, long layoff from being in the ring. And the matchups, when they do get in the ring, oftentimes are not who we want to see. What does that mean? We don't pay. We don't pay, and we don't care. Look at the UFC and how they've been able to, even with the not nowhere close to 100 years of historical significance backing them as a sport, being indelible to the, to the history of strictly, strictly sticking with here in America, strictly in American sports, 100 years or so this has been going on. Corruption, collusion, all that stuff. We know the problems, but we also know this was one of the premier sports in the world. It was football, baseball, and boxing. The three big ones. You could have all... I, I, you go on ESPN. Go watch their fight catalog. I forget which fight it was. But Muhammad Ali fought in color while still in the relatively his prime of his career as a precursor to an NCAA football game. Syracuse and somebody else. That You're kidding me. It was great. Then in terms of fighters that we wanted to see against competitive competition, again, I forget the brother's name, but he was legitimately good. And everything worked. It worked. 
because they were consistently fighting. You got the matches that you wanted to see. Defending champions defended their championship often. And high caliber fought high caliber more often than not. On a consistent basis. Now you don't get that anymore. And since you don't, we don't want to pay for the product. And we don't pay for the product, stuff goes down and down and down. Don't let the numbers fool you. When you see Pacquiao and Mayweather ask millions and millions of dollars, Canelo Alvarez millions and millions of dollars, Tank and Ryan Garcia doing incredible numbers. This whole year of boxing that we've had, don't let that fool you as to what this sport actually does, which is on a consistent basis, outside of a couple dates in the year, don't give people the fights that they want to have. And when they don't do that, we don't pay. Promoters don't put it together. They put shammy cards together, terrible matchups together, one-sided affairs on a consistent basis, even from up-and-coming people, to even when it comes to the bigger stars. Often, more often than not, it's just blasé in terms of who they're fighting up against. Very rarely you get a legitimate name against a legitimate name. And again, this year has been the outlier. All big names have fought somebody of some legitimate significance this entire year. This whole year. Everybody, every big name that you can think of has fought somebody of at least somewhat credible ability. Not some Joe Schmo, not some bum. But outside of that, it's, ne- it's never the case. It's never the case. And you can argue it's too little, too late. Because now, since you don't do that, look at what happens. We, you go by the wayside. Hence, Showtime. No longer seen as viable, profitable. Paramount has to move it to another direction. We're pulling the plug. Despite their 40, nearly 40 years of being ingrained in American society. Ingrained in sports culture. Gone in an instant. And it's the sport's own fault. The UFC, like I was about to say earlier, the UFC, even with the incredibly long way that they have to reach to try to reach the highest heights of boxing. Because again, boxing has been so, it's so history rich. It's been around for so long. It's got had a nearly 100 year head start. But despite that, on a consistent basis, you see the UFC selling out arenas, selling out pay-per-views, selling out venues constantly. There is there's relatively, there is no card that UFC puts together that doesn't feel in some way, shape, or form legitimate, substantial, worth watching, worth paying for, worth taking your time out. It's, it's, it almost never happens. The UFC is able to do it and do it on such a consistent basis in part because of the fact that they're only under one banner, the UFC. That's it. There's no outside commissions. There's no other bodies. There's no diff- a bunch of different title belt holders, different mandatories left, right, and center. Promoters trying to pull one way or another. Everybody trying to get a piece of the pie. Everybody trying to make sure that they get out better and sneak whoever the world that they're trying to promote with None of that, because it's under one roof. Now again, the UFC has problems of its own, which how, how Dana White doesn't pay his fighters at all. Hence why he lost Francis Ngannou. 
and potentially will lose other fighters if that pay doesn't change in a very short amount of time. This is why Nate Diaz went to go fight Jake Paul. Not just because he loves to fight, but because it was going to be the biggest payday that he ever had since, even despite his entire career. Made more in one fight than he made in his entire career. So UFC has problems of his own, no doubt about it. Absolutely. But in terms of why they've been able to rise so quickly, it's because of this. Worked, experimented, found a formula that worked, and then built upon it. And from that formula came putting fighters together that not only made sense, but that had deserved getting into the ring. If I'm number four and you're number three, and we're in the same weight class, we're fighting. Plain and simple. If somebody can't fight, we call the next best option. We don't give some bum. No, it's not seeing anybody steps into the ring. We don't give a bum an opportunity to fight for a title that they don't deserve. They haven't earned the right to do it yet. We don't build up resumes nearly as much. Because once you've gotten five wins in a row, okay, hey, now stepping up competition, plain and simple. It's the truth. Kamzat Shemaev has, what, 12 fights? And he's already in line for a championship. Which we'll talk about later on in the show, absolutely. Him and Kamara Usman now fighting. My goodness, what a card UFC 294 has become in a matter of days. But you see, you, you, you get it? You see what I'm saying? Consistently, they put together people that are competitive, that are worthy of being in the ring with their opposition, and are actually weighty in terms of the stakes that they hold. Every fight in the UFC most likely means some sort of shift in the landscape of the entirety of the sport. It's, it's the truth. Number four beats number three. My goodness. That shifts everything. If an underdog, if a, if a, if a non-ranked fighter beats a top ten fighter, guess what? That non-ranked fighter probably gets put into the top ten immediately. And gets on a fast track to a title because of what you accomplish. And the fighter that lost who was higher ranked gets right back into the ring and gets another savvy dog. There's no waiting around. There's no bloating of resumes. It's legitimate, legitimate, legitimate. Regardless of what skill level or how long you've been in the sport. Consistently, everybody feels beatable. Everybody feels worthy to watch. Everybody feels exciting. And every fight feels in some way, shape, or form weighty. Worthwhile. Meaningful. These fights that people have on, in boxing, not meaningful. Hence why the, we see HBO gone. Showtime gone. Now PBC is going to try to negotiate with either Amazon Prime or, or zone Put their fights on. Which again... The changing landscape of the sport, like we talked about earlier, is a sign of the times as to what the consumer is using and watching. But in the same vein, that should have never happened. With all the cachet and history behind Showtime, the production value, the ability, everything that Showtime has done to build up fights on a consistent basis. 
with all their media outlets, I was always, it feels big, but the fights are never big. All that production value behind it, but there's no substance attached to it outside of the very far few between. And now you see what that's gotten. Another giant of the sport gone and done away with. In a matter of moments. In a matter of hours. Speculated for weeks to come. Many people thought it was just going to be hearsay. Just other promoters trying to dog on Showtime. But no, it's real. It's real. And it's terrible. So I can't wait for the day when boxing gets under one ba- one banner. Boxing under one, one roof. One governing body. One sanctioning body. One belt. Without all of this constant tugging and pulling left, right, and center from 10 different people and 12 different organizations. Because now, what will happen? We'll see more and more of this continue. Unless by some miracle, something happens and they don't actually have to pull out or they're able to come back. Where are we going to, there's no definitive place to go watch boxing that we can have some sort of tie to. Showtime boxing felt significant, felt like something. It was tethered in some sort of foundational Aura, foundational appeal. Like, ah, okay, this is this, this is the place. HBO that what had that spot, and then they dipped. Or did they fold it? Showtime, because of that, took over. They've been doing it, not nearly as long as HBO, but they've been doing it for again forty years, and so they they took that spot as the place. Synonymous with the sport. Now, we don't have that. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore. And it's 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 the sports fault. Promoters, it's your fault. Everybody's to blame for why this isn't happening. Or rather, everybody's to blame for why this is happening. And it's terrible to, to see. Absolutely terrible to see. Hopefully they come back, but this has changed everything in the landscape of, of, of media and just sports as a whole when it comes to boxing. Sign of the times, it's sad to say. Sad to say. But it is what it is. But now, with that being said, let's jump into the fight itself. First off, talking about Tim Tazoo breeding Brian Mendoza for the for the WBO Super Welterweight Championship, retaining his Super Welterweight Championship after being after getting put as champion from a stripped Jamel Charlo when he fought for Canelo Alvarez, with whom he did an absolutely abysmal performance with. Now attempted to do in his first title defense as new champion, went up against a very gang, very strong, very explosive, and a consistent underdog who is Usurp the odds. Brian Mendoza, who has legitimate pop, who has legitimate power, who has great hand speed in, in this fight, good footwork, a mover that can also, if he catches you, will hurt you. We saw what he did against Sebastian Fundura, the towering inferno. 
knocked him out clean. And who was, again, still is, but who was at that point in time, one of the premier rising stars in the sport. Somebody that was so, so tall, so tall, that fought on the inside, looked like a praying mantis, looked, it, it was an anomaly. And he knocked him out. This this brother was a real threat. That if you don't, if you take him lightly, he will overcome any obstacle and do away with you. That's what he has the ability to do. And in this fight, he legitimately has some good control. First what? First four rounds had the volume, had the output, was throwing, trying to land, keeping his distance away. From Tim Tazoo, constantly be, being not not standing in one spot, consistently trying to shift in and out. Not necessarily pot shotting, but trying to make sure that he landed while being safe from Tim Tazoo's legitimately scary power and heavy hands. And then it wasn't until about round five that Tim Tazoo really started working. And once he started working, this turned from just a a fight into a legitimate. Slugfest to which Mendoza was losing. Oh, yes, he was. Because once Tim Tazu legitimately got in rhythm, this he was really able to open up. Really able to open up. Had him hurt in round seven, severely hurt in round seven with an uppercut. Had him hurt in round 10 again and opened up everything at that point in time afterwards. And had control for round what? Four, five, excuse me, round five on to retain his title. Looked great, looked good in terms of Tim Tazoo. Defense got substantially better. It's not world-beating. It's not elite. And it's not great. But it's better than good. I'll say that. It's better than good. It still has some holes, absolutely. But it's better than good. But it's not great. But that's good for him. Because it showed improvement from the last fight. Now, granted, the last fight, he just came in and just bulldozed the brother over. In his last outing, knocked out in one round. But even up until that point, he had showed better defense against a very game, volume-heavy, heavy, and heavy-handed Brian Mendoza. But the one thing I didn't like about it was the fact that he was too patient for everything that he did right in this fight. With them having great hands, with them having, again, better defense, with them having patience, with them being able to cut off the ring when Mendoza was trying to move around, with them being able to corner, doing everything that I would want against a mover like Mendoza when he was in that fight. As, despite all that, I didn't like the fact that we saw Tim Tazu be too patient, too wary, too not respectful, because he was walking down Mendoza. He was, well, he was worried about the power, but he wasn't showing it. He was being methodical and applying pressure without throwing anything, which is a skill in and of itself. Phenomenal by Tim Tazoo. Again, another plot, another great point in his skill set that we that we see has improved. But he was too patient, despite having great patience. There were times when he had him in the corner and couldn't and didn't do anything. I get in round one and round two not really throwing a whole bunch, if at all, just trying to gauge what Mendoza was trying to do. But once round three came around, he still wasn't throwing jabs. Though his hand speed was faster and his jab was sharper than Mendoza's. 
And he could have utilized that even better. And he's never been one to utilize his jab a whole lot. It hasn't been. It's not the jab that he builds everything off of. Generally. But he does have a good jab. I just hated the fact that he barely used it in this fight. Barely used it in this fight. Especially when he could have used it in this fight. When he had Mendoza on the ropes. When Mendoza was trying to play coy by, by doing a bunch of herky-jerky movements. Trying to bait Kazoo to, to potentially step in and make a wrong decision. Throw that jab out. With your longer reach and with your legitimate power behind that jab. If you catch him with the jab and you pop him, okay, boom, that sends him back. If you miss, well, then you get to see how he's able to react and keep on downloading information. But just standing, waiting, yeah, being defensively sound, but not throwing anything. Lost him a lot of rounds that he really shouldn't have lost. Lost him a lot of rounds. That he, really, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't have lost all four of the, of, of the first round. He shouldn't have. And again, both Mendoza and Tazu do not throw a lot of punches. Understandable. Absolutely. They don't throw in a bunch of volume. Tim Tazu is one to throw in low volume but high efficiency. Landing normally 40% or more of his power, power shots, power punches. Everything but a jab. So we get that that's the fighting style. But at the same time, there's some openings that, I mean, Tazook really could have ended this fight a lot earlier than he did. If he wasn't so patient. I'm not saying patience is bad. But I'm saying being overly committed to trying to land the perfect shot. Sometimes can be your downfall. Because it was looking like early on, hey, Mendoza might just take this. He might he he might be able to squeak this out. If he keeps going like this and Tazook throws as little as he does. But he was efficient, he was effective, and it worked. And when he did land, those heavy hands showed true. That power showed true. Had Mendoza hurt, had Mendoza wobbled, had Mendoza flopping all around the ring. This is a cat who's never been knocked down or knocked out. And shoot, if this was a 15-round fight, oh, he would have been gone. He probably would have been knocked out. At least touched the canvas, but it showed how tough Mendoza is as a fighter and how game he was as a competitor. And why this was a great first defense for Tim Tazoo. But regardless of which, the bad is the bad. Despite all the good, if you're being that conservative, it can be your downfall potential. If you're being so patient to land the perfect shot, especially when we know that when you do let your hands go, you can get stuff done quick and in a hurry, like you did in the fight before Mendoza. When you're willing to let your hands go, which I know he's willing to, but when you're more comfortable with doing it earlier on, at least throwing out more than just, you know, two or three punches around until you're like, okay, boom, now I need to pump on the gas. At least earlier on in the fight, that can lead to some problems. Legitimately, that's the only thing I didn't like about it. But it's a significant thing I didn't like because now this is going up against Jamel Charlo. Which brings me to the next point of the show. 
talking about Tim DeZoo versus Charlo. Now that this fight has transpired, showed a phenomenal performance, showed all the power, showed all the legitimate hand speed, great combination punching, all of that, and a good first title defense for Tim DeZoo. Tazoo's been calling out Charlo so long. So long. Supposed to be that Tazoo fought Charlo for Undisputed, but Charlo took on Kendall Alvarez, and we all remember how that turned out. Horrible. But now he's moving back down to 154. Yeah, he said he's called out Terrence Crawford and all that stuff. He's not going to fight them. He's not going to fight any of them. The only fight that makes sense for Charlo right now is fighting Tim Tazoo, who was initially supposed to fight him or in line to fight him, and now has one of your belts that you were stripped of if you're Charlo. And if Charlo wants to be undisputed again, he's the man he's got to go through. It seems inevitable that they're going to clash, that they have to clash. And it could be, it should be, that right now Tim Tazoo should be favored. Yes, I understand one fight doesn't mean, of doesn't make up the entirety of a of a fighter's next steps in their career. It doesn't mean that he's going to just suck and look like that again. He's not going to fight. It doesn't mean he's going to fight like a bum again when he steps into the ring against Tim Tazoo. It doesn't mean that. What it does do is set a precedent for what we can potentially expect when it comes to a big-time affair, when it comes to a big-time fight. And this will be a big-time fight. It will. And... With what we saw Charlo do when the lights were the brightest in his career and will be there will never be any brighter and you fold like that, legitimately we have to say maybe we're going to see the same thing here. Especially against somebody who has legitimate pop, legitimate power, just like Canelo and Tim Tazoo. We could see that. But I'm not going to jump to that conclusion. More so, I'm going to jump to the fact that what we saw Charlo do in, uh, versus Canelo. We're not, we're not going to see that same timid Canelo or timid Charlo, excuse me, that same scared Charlo. But we are going to see a Charlo that maybe won't be the same. Not necessarily because of the fight, but because of moving back down in weight. Moving up two weight classes, again, then putting on that abysmal, abysmal of a performance potentially could have an effect on you, on you psychologically. We've seen boxers, when they lose, it affects them. It affects anybody. But a boxer, when they lose, it can affect them mentally, the very bad way or a very good way. They lose, and then like Canelo, get better and reach their zenith, their peak of their powers, or you lose, and then you falter, and then you fold, and then you're never the same. That's very well how things can happen. Very well how things can happen. But on the flip side, outside of the mental aspect, physically, with Charlo moving up from 154 to 168, and now moving back down to 154, like we always say, the body can only take so much. And whenever you're doing this big of a drastic change and shifting weight so quickly, question is, how is your body going to adapt? Will Jamel Charlo, when he moves back down to 154, be better or at least be just as good? Or will the fluctuation in weight at such a rapid succession 
affect his ability to fight, like we saw against Roy Jones Jr. When he moved up to heavyweight, won the title, moved back down, and then what, fought Antonio Tarver? A close affair that, at the peak of his powers, shouldn't have been close, wouldn't have been close. And then the next time around, knocked him out. Chin was never the same, could never take a punch again. Could never take a punch again after that. But we saw distinctly that the powers of Roy Jones Jr. were different, were diminished, were not the same. Overall, physically, it wasn't the same. Didn't have the same pop, didn't have the same explosiveness, did not have the same sharpness that they had to him in the past in watching Roy Jones Jr., who was, from a talent perspective, probably the most gifted boxer that we've seen. Probably the most gifted boxer that we've seen. Out of everybody. Even even out of Sugar Ray Robinson. Though Sugar Ray Robinson is the greatest boxer, period. Those two probably had, in terms of physical gifts and ability and talent, the best out of the history of the sport. But we saw that diminish in an instant once, we, once Roy Jones Jr. came back down to everywhere. Worked all the way up. Looked fine all the way up. When he moved back down, never the same. Jamel Charlo might not be the same once he moves back down. Might not ever be the same Jamel Charlo that we see. We could see him potentially become chinny. Already hesitant to take a punch from Canelo. Now goes up against Tim Tazu and he feels his body can't handle it again. Or can't handle a shot anymore. After moving down, back down in weight. Could be a problem. It could be a problem. So it wouldn't be out of the realm possibility to favor Tim Tazu, which I do favor Tim Tazu if they fought against each other. That is, if Tim Tazu is a little more work rate heavy and not as patient, throwing his jab out a lot more, if he's not so conservative and looking for the perfect shot or the perfect opening to then go and implement some offense, then yeah, I'm taking Tim Tazu if that is the case. If that's not the case, now it's a lot closer. Now it's a 50-50 fight. Because I can't definitively say that Charles is going to just you know, have every advantage. I can't. Based on his last performance and with him moving down in weight and what effect it potentially will have on him as a boxer, even when he does want to implement his normal game plan of being dynamite, it might not be the same. Because he might not be able to perform the same. It's just the truth of the matter. It's We have to look at it like that. But it's an incredibly enticing fight that I can't wait to see because when it does happen next year, it's going to be very interesting. Because Tim Tazu, one of the unsung plot points of this entire story between these two, Tim Tazu has been staying active. Charlo ain't been out, Charlo ain't been in, in the, both Charlos ain't been in the ring in a long time. And Jamal Charlo just got in the ring against Canelo and laid an egg. A rotten egg at that. Fought like a bum. And now wants to move back down to 154 after only having one fight under his belt where he really didn't do anything at all. We can argue he still has all the rust because he didn't actually box in the slightest. 
He didn't fight at all. He just got hit. Nothing more. Again, fought like a bum. But when it comes to Tim Tazoo, he's been fighting despite not getting his fight with Charlo on a consistent basis. Constantly having routine. Always in training. Always fresh. Hasn't gotten out of rhythm of what it's like to be in the ring. While Charlo has and has just gotten back in the ring. And fought terribly at that. So ring rust still may be an issue for Jamel Charlo. Because yes, he fought. But he didn't really fight. He just stood there and let himself get hit. Defensive to a fault. Scared to do any sort of game plan whatsoever. Fearful. Fending that added ring rust to him because now you know how to get in the ring, but you don't know how to operate once you are in the ring. And going up against another heavy hitter puncher who's been staying fresh the whole time that you were gone, who's been fighting and training the whole time that you were gone, who's been taking on legitimate competition like Mendoza since you've been gone. Hasn't missed a beat. Oh, yeah. It's fair to say, Charlo, you might be in trouble. We could be seeing a new undisputed champion and continuing to build on a great lineage of his already historically significant father. New undisputed champion, Tim Tezuka. That's exactly what we can hear. That's exactly what we can hear. And I'm so more power to him. I love it. Love that. Best case scenario, Tim Tezu beats Charlo, and then moves up to 160, and then tries to make his way at middleweight. That would, that would be fun to see. That would be fun to see. I think he'd be right at home, in my estimation. But we'll just have to wait and see. But regardless of which, that is what Charlo is in. That's, that's the... The issue that Charlo's in right now. This is the man who wants to regain his name. But he lost respect to his name. Him and his brother. With one fight, lost respect for, to both of his brother's names. And their legacy. People are saying they don't want to see any of them fight. All because of that one. People are looking at both of them differently. All because of one fighting in such a blase manner. And since he wants to get back and regain that respect, it's admirable if he does, in fact, make this fight happen. Because, again, he could go another route in terms of Jamel Charlo. He could have very well go another route, potentially. I hope he wouldn't. I would want to see if he's still a lying about that life. He goes and takes care of the business and tries to reclaim his belt that he got stripped of for no good reason. Because, let's face it, he didn't do any accomplishment you got stripped for nothing because you didn't do anything in the ring in terms of Jamel Charlo so if you want to get your belt back hey let's make this fight happen let's get these, let's get these two dogs in the ring and make them fight absolutely but since the Canelo's loss was so substantial you might not even see that happen might take tune up, tune up, tune up, and then fight Tim Tazoo. Potentially. But I hope that's not the case. Really hope that's not the case at all. 
my goodness, I hope that's not the case at all. Because I want to see this fight happen. I want to see this fight happen. Because they have been talking back and forth for so long against each other. I need to see this fight happen. But now moving on to the next topic of this show. Janibek Ali Mahanala knocked out Vincenzo Gutierrez in six rounds to claim the unified middleweight championship at 160 pounds, getting the WBO and IBF titles, and this brother is something serious. If you haven't heard of Janibek Ali Mahanala, just understand this. Imagine Triple G, but taller. That's what Janibek is, in all honesty. I'm not saying he's as great. I'm not saying he's as good, but I'm saying stylistically, similar to Triple G, this brother's got that same it factor. There's a reason this cat's 16 and 0. I think now 17 and 0 with this win. Undefeated. This man can pop. This man can crack. And he's got insane patience. Insane patience. But unlike Tim Tazoo, like I just talked about earlier, in terms of how I didn't like the way that he fought. Janibek legitimately will use his jab, will pump that piston-like jab consistently out at his opponents while staying within his own range, never giving up ground, never backing up unless he's trying to get out of the way of a punch, which again, he doesn't lean back like we see most people do. This cat goes and steps back, jumps back while still being in a great defensive posture, and then just walks his way back into the range that he wants to be in and stalks the opponent down like he did against Vincenzo, and he just destroyed him. Uppercuts kept knocking him off every punch seemingly from the guard when Gutierrez tried to duck down would knock him off balance or knock or pop him back up legitimately was able to ride him against the ropes all night long make it so that Vincenzo really didn't have any comfort at all at all he really couldn't do anything because Janibek was just so great technically it was the small things that he did, not falling for the feints, not falling for a lot of the, 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 the false steps that we saw Vincenzo do in the fight, not falling for the showboating, the, the, the posturing that Vincenzo was doing throughout the fight, legitimately just staying patient, staying focused, pumping out that jab, damaging Vincenzo all night long, consistently staying within range while always being out of Vincenzo's range. This man, Janibek, is something serious. He is he 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 looks phenomenal. He looks phenomenal. He looks absolutely phenomenal. And eerily similar to Triple G. Again, we I'm not saying he's he is a carbon copy. I'm saying you can see the real distinction or rather the the, 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 the real implications or, or implementing of Triple G's fighting style into his own fighting style. The way he walks around the ring, the way that he pumps out that jab in such a sharp, quick press. I love the fact that it's from the hip, so it's harder for the opponent to see coming. And it comes out in such a, a snapping motion, but it's got so much pop to it as well. It's great. And coupled up with the fact that I said initially his patience is great. His patience is great because he doesn't force the knockout. One of the best things that I saw in this fight with Janibek was the fact that he would go in, even when he had Vincenzo hurt, he wouldn't rush in. He would close the distance, look for an opening. If it wasn't there, he would continue just breaking him down with his jab all night long, constantly catching, punching where he was going rather than where his head was at, never falling or, or never, yeah, never falling for the head movement that we saw Vincenzo doing all fight long. 
was able to, 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 to catch him consistently regardless of what plan of escape Vincenzo tried to do. It was an outright demolition, but a sublime demolition, a beautiful painting of violence. That's what we saw from Janibek. It was great. It was phenomenal. And if you haven't heard of him, you need to watch this brother. This man can fight. This man is a real threat. This man may be the best middleweight in the world today. Legitimate. He might be the best middleweight in the world today. He's got speed. He's got real power. Real power. Incredible patience. Consistency with this jab to never stray away from the game plan. Will not get rushed into something that he doesn't want to do. Will not overcommit on shots. Can step around and use different angles. He showed a bunch of different skill sets in this fight that were just wah, chef's kiss. Absolutely phenomenal. And this man is, it's, 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 it's scary to think about, hey, this brother can legitimately get better. I see why he's calling out people like Kendall. I see why that he's saying that he only wants to fight elite or championship competition and nothing more. Because right now, he it, it, looking at the rest of the middleweight landscape, you got Arisani Lara, the current WBA champion. Jamal Charlo, the current WBC champion. Of course, Janabek, the WBO and IBF champion with this win, unified. Chris Eubank Jr., Liam Smith, Triple G, of the known great names in this in this division. Most likely the best names and the best fighters in this division right now from a talent perspective. Most likely those are the best that I just named. From what I can gather. And I think he's better than all of them. I truly do think he's better than all of them. Let, forget Jamel Charlo's sentiment in terms of how I feel about him after his fight. We won't let that cloud what his brother could do. His brother's great. Get me wrong. Champion for a reason. But Janabek is better, in my estimation. I think Janabek is better. Arizona Lara, 40-year-old who's in the division, currently still champion. He's still great. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if he can compete with Janabek's power and patience. Chris Eubank Jr. right now just had a resurgence after knocking out Liam Smith. Sure, we can see Liam Smith maybe had an injury, but even still, we saw... Chris Eubank Jr. look better than we've seen him before. Get away from that Roy Jones Jr. style and get back to a style that fits him. And had one of his best performances in a, in a fight, probably in his career. Probably his best fight was his rematch with Liam Smith. And he looked phenomenal. That man looked like a man that can be a champion. That man looked like a man that can be a real threat in this division. That man looked like a man that can be and work his way out of his father's shadow, potentially. Legit, for real. But going up against Chanabek, my gosh, man. After what I saw him do against this brother, ah, cool. And he's a southpaw. All this skill, all this power, all this patience, all of this entwined and under the shell of a southpaw, notoriously 
the bane of boxing in terms of the, the how tough it is to fight against a southpaw, especially a skilled southpaw, let alone a southpaw with legitimate pop. My goodness, this man has it all. He's got it all. He's got it all. I'm high on this guy. I'm very high on Janibek. This man can fight for real, and he ain't afraid of anybody. I love that, the mentality that he has, the way that he approaches the sport. I love it. He wants challenges. He's earned the right now to say, I'm only calling out the best of the best now because I paid my dues. I made it through the ranks. Within, excuse me, I got the record wrong. 15 fights, he got a title. Within 15 fights, he became unified. After an extensive amateur career, dominated in the amateurs, moved up to professional, dominated in professional, knockout savant with boxing IQ in of an of a elite tier. Can use angles, footwork, everything. Whole nine yards. Phenomenal. And he's a southpaw that's paid his dues and ain't afraid of anybody. He earned the right to be able to call out people like Canelo, call out people like Charlo, call out people like elites only. Because he's now in that rarefied air. Let's say he's as big as them, but in terms of talent, oh yes, he's there. He deserves to be called elite. And now starting to call out bigger names like this is well within his power. I'm not mad. It's unlike other boxers who call these names out without having any form of success to to back them, to be behind them, showing anything to show, okay, yeah, I can actually take them. No, he, he's got it. Titles looking to become undisputed and talent to boot. Oh, yeah, this, yeah. This is going to be a very entertaining man to watch and follow throughout his career. Absolutely. And I hope he fights strong. I really do. Because right now, I think he might be the best middleweight today. Taking over the spot of Triple G. And Triple G's out. We don't know when Triple G's going to fight. Going through the list of who may be the best of the division. We don't know when Triple G may be back. He's been out indefinitely. See, he said himself he's going to take a leave from boxing since the Canelo trilogy. And he ain't been back since. And we don't know when he's going to be back. Hopefully he does. If he doesn't and chooses to retire, one of the greatest middleweights of all time. One of the most dominant champions of all time. One of the most, one of the, this one of this generation's premier boogeymen in the era of boxing. This era of boxing. A legacy all its own that people only that people will strive to try to reach. Absolutely. Applaud him. If he does choose to retire. If he chooses to come back, will he be better or worse? I don't know. I think he might be worse, but we'll only have to see. Maybe the recovery will make him better. Maybe the, the recovery from all the wars will rejuvenate him and be able to be something great, even at the age of 40-plus, like we saw with Bernard Hopkins. Potentially. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that's what we could see. That's what we could see. But despite all of that, as of right now, we have to say that name-wise, Charles is probably the biggest name. And then Eubank. But in terms of talent, 
Janabek Ali Mahanala. This cat may be better than all of them. He might be better than all of them. I'm not trying to be a hype beast. I'm not trying to jump the gun. I'm not trying to be a guy that just said, oh, I was on it before anybody. No. We call it like we see it here. This man showed some, a, a vast array of skill sets in a short amount of time. Proving that that amateur record isn't a fluke and that his current position as champ is deserved and his current outlook to challenge the elites of the world is warranted. And we need to keep an eye out on him because if he keeps moving up like he's been moving, not in weight, but in terms of indominance, we might see that he may be it may be it, it, it may be impossible to get away from him. It might be impossible to avoid him. It might be impossible to overlook him. Like we've been overlooking him for a while. Like many boxing fans still do because they, they don't know him. And I understand there's so many boxers in the boxing world. It, you can't keep track of everybody. I get that. I truly do. That doesn't mean that when you do see something special, you don't call it out. And I see something special in Janabek. I see some, this man can be a real problem at middleweight, at super middleweight. And if the cards stay true to how this trajectory potentially can go, you can see this man potentially go up the, all the way to light heavyweight. Potentially. And might give Bebo a real run for his money. Or better be if. Potentially. If they're still around fighting. At least if better be if. Is still fighting. If he. By the time. Janabek does. In fact move up to light heavyweight. If he chooses to go that route. If he chooses to dominate multiple weight class. After dominating middleweight. If, in fact, he does. Again, all of this is speculation. All of this is what the potential road can be. The potential road for Janibet can be undisputed, wipe out the division, then go up to middleweight, or super middleweight, excuse me, beat Canelo, potentially, claim the undisputed title. If, in fact, Canelo is still reigning by the time he goes up to that weight class. Or, shoot, I would love to see him fight better uh, uh, Benavidez. If, in fact, it comes to Canelo and Benavidez fight and Benavidez wins, love to see him fight Benavidez. Oh, that would be a great fight to see. That would be, oh, be a great fight to see. But let's say either one of them wins and then he goes up and accomplishes that, we could then see him also go up to light heavyweight and fight either Bevo or Benavidez or potentially both. Who knows? Who knows? Who know, this could be a cat that goes up to middleweight or cleans out his division at middleweight, moves up and cleans out super middleweight. And by that, I mean cleans out better VF, not better VF, Benavidez and Canelo, or at least fights them both potentially. And then moves up and fights B-Vol and better VF at light heavyweight, potentially. I'm not saying he's going to win everything. If he did win 
all those fights along the way. My goodness. You're talking about something insane. You're talking about something insane. You are talking about some historical significant type stuff. But just the fact that he goes up and fights them all, if in fact that is the trajectory of his career, that's going to be a joy to watch. Oh, that's going to be fun to watch. Keep an eye out for Janabek Ali Mahanala. Keep an eye out for Ali Mahanala. Because this man is here to take on everybody. Everybody. He ain't afraid of nobody. And if anything, people are going to start being afraid of him. With what I saw to last weekend in that fight. Oh, I'm high on this brother. I'm excited to see this cat keep on fighting. He's going to be something special. Mark my words. He's already something special. Excuse me. Keep an eye out for him to fight Charlo. That's the biggest name that he can get to in the immediate on his resume. Whenever he gets back out of retirement or back out of hiatus. Again, we owe everything as well. Whenever we see Charlo get out of hiatus and get back into the ring. It's going to be against this guy. He's, he's going to be unavoidable. Janabek's going to be unavoidable. And it's going to be fun to see. Oh, it's going to be fun to see. Absolutely. But now, with the last point of this show, we have to talk about the absolutely insane card that's been announced for UFC 294. That's right. I'm talking about now instead of Islam Akjabaj Charles Oliveira with Oliveira being out with injury. It is now Islam versus Volk 2 in a rematch for the lightweight title. On and on the co-main, instead of Chimaev fighting Paulo Acosta, it is now Ch- Kamzat Chimaev versus Kamar Usman in the co-main for 294 at middleweight. My Good. You want to talk about a real card that went from good to great in an instant. Both of these fighters are coming in on what? Uh, under two weeks notice. I believe the fight the fight night is happening this weekend, if I remember correctly. Or, or sometime this month at UFC 294. And both of them took the fight on about 10 to 12 days notice in terms of Volk and Usman. Now who's going to win? My goodness, who's going to win? How is it going to turn out? First off, let's start with the co-main. It's uh, Usman versus Kamzat Shemaev. Kamzat Shemaev versus Usman is going to be an absolute war. The former pound-for-pound best fighter in the world in Usman going up against one of the best fighters in the world today, one of the fastest rising stars, one of the most dominant fighters in the UFC world, Kamzat Shemaev. How is this fight going to turn out? We could see Kamzat Shemaev get a win over Usman if, in fact, we see when Usman comes up the middleweight, he won't be able to out overpower Kamzat Chimaev. One of the biggest reasons that Usman's been so dominant, his skill set legitimately is great, phenomenal, despite the losses with Leon Edwards. His skill set legitimately is still incredible. Don't get it twisted. All, all around, he is great. Great striker, great puncher, great stamina, great grappler, a great ground and pound artist. Can sprawl you, can control you can clinch you up and be able to have control, can fight in the stand-up, has legitimate power in both hands, especially that right hand, like we saw against Jorge Masvidal. Well-rounded in all aspects, at an elite level. 
phenomenal. Maybe is he's downgraded because of age from elite to great, or excuse me, elite in most aspects, but at minimum great in all aspects. At minimum great in all aspects. And he's got again, he's got a legitimate chin outside of being caught by Leon Edwards, who's one of the most technical strikers in the world, regardless of weight class. Outside of being caught by one of the best strikers in the business. He's had a fairly reliable chin throughout his entire career. Now, with all that being said, the biggest reason why he was so great in part was because of also his physical capabilities. Gifted physically, this man was a tank. This man was a tank. One of the three African kings of the UFC division when Israel and Ganu and Kamara were all reigning with each other. He was considered the best out of those three. And Ganu being the strongest, Israel being the most creative, and Usman being the all-around best. Coupled with him being technically great in all aspects, physically this man was a walking machine, built like a rock at 168. That was at welterweight. Now going up to middleweight, 185, the fight comes out to my We could see a situation where we could see Usman be the strong guy, potentially. This is me breaking down the fight. We could potentially see Usman be, be the stronger man, be the stronger opponent, potentially. I'm not saying it's going to be the case. I'm saying with how strong he already was at 165, now, getting 181, now going to 185, fighting at middleweight. Excuse me. With how strong he was fighting at 168 at welterweight. Now moving up to middleweight and fighting at 185 against Kamzat Shemaev. That added strength could be an even bigger additive to his already vast skill set. Making him even more dangerous, potentially. It's rare to see Kamzat go against somebody that is as powerful as him. This man, is, he wants to smash everybody left, right, and center. Destroy Kill everybody. He wants to kill everybody. His words. He wants to kill everybody in sight. This man wants to blow up every division that he's in. And he was already blowing up and it, because it was hard to make weight at 168. 185, it should be easy. We should see he fully flushed out and a fully realized comes out your mouth. No weight issues. No strain on his body. None of that. But even with that being said, we could see a clash between Kamzat and Usman where Kamzat's biggest strength being his strength may not be the, 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 the main, the, 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 what's the word? It may not be the main thing that gets him victory because he might go up against another genetic freak in Usman who now with that added weight on him could turn could could very well make this fight tough, potentially. But for the sake of what the division is, we'll give Kamzat the strength advantage in this fight. Kamzat stronger, absolutely fine. We'll go with it. I think that Kamzat will be stronger when they go fight against each other. Absolutely. It's gonna, it ain't going to be just a whitewashing of strength, at least from my estimation, but it will be Kamzat will be strong. But we haven't seen Kamzat go up against somebody this technically sound before. Yes, we know he beat Kevin Holland, dominated Kevin Holland. 
in an utterly impressive display of just outright mauling. Unmistakable. You can't, there's nothing you can say about that performance except but pure dominance. But he still did struggle against Gilbert Burns. He did. That's been the fight that has given him the biggest test of his entire career. It, it has. And nobody else has been able to implement or has implemented that same style of fighting against Kamzat since, from my estimation, from watching him. But Kamar Usman can. Kamar Usman can. And he can do it better than, than Gilbert Burns. He can absolutely do it better than Gilbert Burns. So because of that, we could see a situation where Kamzat has fought somebody with this much ring experience, comparable strength, great striking, and great clinch game and grappling. All in one. We haven't seen Kamzat go against that. We've seen him go up against great strikers. We've seen him go up against great grapplers, or good grapplers. We haven't seen somebody that that Kamzat's gone up against that has put that whole package together in the same way that we've seen Kamar Usman do at his best. On top of the fact Kamar Usman has championship experience and was considered one of the best in the world, excuse me, the best in the world at one point in time in his career. Before Alexander Volkanovsky got that title, it was Usman who had that title. It was. Before it was Alexander Volkanovsky, it was Kamara Usman, who had the title of best fighter in the world. Consensus, best fighter in the world. It's the truth. And since that's the case, how are we going to see Kamzat go up against somebody as multifaceted as Kamara Usman? That's going to be, it's going to be the biggest crux. It's going to be the biggest concern. It's going to be the biggest thing to see. Somebody that can put it together like Usman against somebody that comes out Shemaya, who's gone up against people that are elite in one facet but not elite in another. Going up against somebody who's as smart as ring or octagon controlling and has so many ways that he can attack an opponent and has seen just about everything in his career. This is a real test. This is a real test. It's a real test for both of them. This is a legitimately a, 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 a legacy fight for both of these fighters. For Kamzat Chimaev, this is a legacy fight to show if he is indeed warranted to be put in that upper echelon of top-tier UFC fighters. Not saying that he isn't, but I'm saying cementing himself and putting himself as, okay, this man might be one of the best in the world. He already is considered, but definitively, okay, yeah, he belongs there. Or if he loses, he just got more to learn. But if he wins and beats Usman, let alone knocks him out, my goodness, you're talking about a man who already, his star is already on the stratosphere or, or in the trajectory of the stratosphere. Now you put a name like Usman under under his resume and he beats, let alone dominates like he's been doing against other opponents. My gosh. My goodness, it's going to be insane. And he gets a surefire shot at fighting Sean Strickland at getting a championship. 
like he's been saying that he wants. And if if he wins a championship versus Sean Strickland, reigning and ruling over the, over, uh, over the division, this could be the start of the reign of Kamzat Chimaev. We've seen the dominance. Now we could see the reign. This is his barometer of if you want to get to that title, you got to go through somebody who's been there before. It's his measuring stick. That's where Kamzat is right now. His toughest test, toughest matchup, most acclim- most acclaimed opponent is going to be his barometer. This is the man who's been where you're trying to get to. Beat him, you belong. Or, you, or now you've shown you can reach your goal. Lose to him. There's some stuff you still have to learn. You can still get there. There's some stuff you still have to learn. But on the side of Kamar Usman, this is a real situation where now it turns into do or die. You've got knocked out by Leon Edwards. You lost to Leon Edwards in the second time. First fight, you dominated and you should have won. But one mistake cost you the whole fight with a knockout. Great setup by Leon Edwards, not taking anything away. Second fight, you can't clinch. You can't grapple like you, like, like you can. Leon Edwards was able to nullify everything that you did great in the first fight. And now you're on back-to-back losses out of a championship, moving up in weight on 10 days' notice, taking on a game opponent. It's a real situation where you lose against this guy. Regardless of context, with or without context, that's three losses in a row. And unlike boxing, one loss doesn't make or break a fighter, absolutely. But three in a row in the UFC still mean now... Questions need to be asked. Is he now done with his prime? Is he out of the best Kamar Usman that we know? The window to come back to that same form, it's still there. But can he get there? It's going to depend on his fight. Taking on a young, hungry, able, scary lion in Kamzat Shemaev. When you are moving up to his weight class now, it's going to be if you lose this fight, especially if you lose in dominant fashion. Okay. We now know where Usman is in his career at this stage. Is he elite? Depending on the opponent, depending on the performance, sure. Even if the performance is a, just a whitewashing by Kamzai, sure. Still, he's great. But he may not be elite anymore. And he may turn into, now I am the gatekeeper for the next generation. I don't mean gatekeeper in a bad way. This, is, this isn't a gatekeeper where this is your plateau and you can't get nowhere. But if you lose a third time, now the next fight that you go into, especially if it's against a younger fighter, an up-and-coming fighter, is now going to be, okay, Usman's trying to get back into championship contention, get back into the win column, get back into the ability to regain gold around his waist. But at the same time, he's going up against somebody who has has had a hot start in his career and is looking to make his mark. And now... Usman is in that vein a gatekeeper, a threshold. 
Not in a not in a bad way, like we've put other people in gatekeeping status because their skill set has just plateaued and they can't get anywhere. But in terms of older, been through wars, consecutive losses, potentially three losses in a row, if he loses to Kamsat Shemaev, we have to start asking questions of whether or not your prime is gone, whether or not your championship contending days are over. It's a real possibility. And it's a real reality that he may be facing. And now he can still get big fights, absolutely. But he won't be in the in the same vein of, okay, yeah, this man is one of the best in the world. One of the most elite fighters that we've seen currently. And is in line for a championship. Instead, it'll be, this is one of the all-time greats who's still going strong, who can still on any given day give anybody, beat a bunch of people and give even the top of the top trouble because of his experience, but not necessarily considered elite. If you understand what I'm saying. That's where we could see Usman fall. If he loses the third time round, especially if it's an outright whitewashing. If it's close and competitive, okay, that's a different story. You can lose and it'd be close. And now you're try having a conversation. Well, hold on. Wait a minute now. Usman, this brother almost got the win up from Kamzat Shemaev. Shoot. Maybe he's not done. Maybe he's still got a bunch in the tank. Maybe he still can be elite. Maybe so. Or, in fact, maybe he is still elite, even with a loss, depending on how he performs. Maybe he is still elite. Maybe the Usman of old has come back, comes out which just better. But Usman, in terms of how we, how we, the dominance that we've seen him, oh, this man might just make a resurgence. We could see that happen, even with a third loss. Or at least a third consecutive loss. But there's many possibilities that this fight can go and many branching stories that this fight can lead to for the trajectories of both careers. But who I think is going to win, I think it's going to be Kamzat Shemaev. Because I've been high on Kamzat for a long time. And this has been the fight I've been waiting for Kamzat to get. Because I've been wanting to see him go up again in the ring against somebody who has been proven, tested, with gold around their waist before. On paper, the toughest challenge of his career, even on 10 days notice. Even on 10 days notice. Usman could give anybody work and beat most people, at least at their best, at his best. And with Kamzat Shmaev fighting Usman at a weight class that Kamzat moved up to to get comfortable with, I'm expecting to see the full capabilities of Kamzat Shmaev on display with no restrictions whatsoever. No weight drain, no weight drain fatigue, no excessive tiredness, no stress of, oh my gosh, I got to cut weight beforehand. All that's out the window because you should easily be able to make 185. Easily. The only thing that should be on your mind is the fight itself with no other distractions in terms of comes out Shemaev. And I expect to see potentially the most dominant version of comes out that, I, that we've ever seen. To this point, 
And we've seen Kamzat just grow and grow and grow as he's gotten in the UFC. But with this fight, I can't wait to see this brother because I truly do think that now is his time to fully delve into the full breadth of his capabilities and take advantage of all of them with none of the restrictions of weight holding him back. And with that being the case, I think we're going to see strength like we've never seen before, power like we've never seen before, and all around just domination like we haven't seen before from Kamzat Shemaev before, even against somebody of the caliber of Kamar Usman. This is not disrespect to Kamar Usman. This has just been the opportunity I've been waiting for Kamzat to get. This is not disrespect to the opposition. Especially somebody as great as Kamar Usman, who will go down as one of the best UFC fighters in the history of the sport. Doesn't take away from the fact that this is the opportunity as well as the situation that I've been waiting for Kamzat Shemaev to get into for the, all of his career. Ever since he began struggling, making weight. This is it. Because he wins this, he gets a title shot. Almost guaranteed. He beats Usman, he gets Strickland. And if he fights Strickland, I think he beats Strickland. And when he beats Strickland, he then we then begin the reign of Chemayev. The reign of terror, potentially. Because beating him is going to be a monster of a task. Especially now if what happens, if what I think is going to happen, happens. It's going to be outright scary to watch this man fight. And it's going to be a joy to watch all at the same time. So it could be close. It could very well be close. Or it could be an outright demolition from the side of Kamzat Shemaev. But either way, whether it's competitive or it's domination, I got Kamzat winning this fight. Now moving to the main event. Islam versus Volkanovski. For the lightweight title. The rematch of a hotly contested, very much controversial fight that had Islam winning in un, in unanimous fashion. But the public saying Volk may have won. Volk with 160, I believe 164 significant strikes landed, peppering the entire body, legs, body, and head, versus Islam's seven plus minutes of Grapple control and ground control and four takedowns on the night. Who won that first fight is still going to be talked about. But who wins this second fight? It's going to be very interesting. And I think who wins this second fight might... Oh, man. Actually, who wins this fight? That's a good question. Because again, Volk took this on again less than, less than two weeks notice. Him being able to him being able to prep and train for for Islam shouldn't it should be just a building block of what he did the first time around. But again, it's gonna be tough because it's Islam Makajev. It's, it's, it's one of the best submission specialists and just grapplers that we have in the division today. A potential successor to Nurmagomedov, 
I'm not saying that he is Nurmagomedov. Medov. I'm saying in terms of grappling ability. Takes very much from that role. Takes very much from that from from his brother in arms. The man who literally coached him to win his title. That's what Nurmagomedov is to Islam Makhachev. And so from that same tree, the grappling game is dominance. Outright dominance. Even somebody like Volkanovski couldn't stop him. But with this next fight, to be perfectly honest, I don't know who's going to win. But I know how both of them can win. If Islam keeps the same game plan but just ramps it up to an even greater level, mitigates Volkanovski's ability to strike by forcing the grapple game. Now, again, it's dangerous. Don't get me wrong. It's dangerous, absolutely. But if you bring Volkanovski from 164 strikes, significant strikes on the night landing to potentially 90 to 80 and keep that same level of ground game and, t- and con- ground control and takedowns, oh, you win outright without any need for controversy if we're going by the result of the first fight. But if Volkanovski is able to consistently keep Makachev off of him and keep this fight on the feet, which is, again, a nigh-impossible task against somebody like, like Islam Makachev, it's nearly impossible because of how good Makachev is and how just innately strong Makachev is pound-for-pound-wise. One of the strongest fighters in the UFC. When he gets his hands on you, it's almost impossible to get out of him even for somebody like Alexander Volkanovsky. But if Volk can keep that takedown threshold from four to potentially two on the night, he he can get this in the bag. Because if he keeps the fight on the feet, that's where he can win. That's where he can dominate. That's where he has the advantage. Yes, we know Islam can knock out Volkanovsky. He's got that power. And Volkanovsky can knock out Islam. He's got that power. But when it comes to a stand-up matchup, Volkanovski's more well-rounded, more versatile, more versatile, excuse me, has better weapons, and is sharp. Islam, in terms of his striking, is good, don't get me wrong, again, he knocked down Charles Oliveira. And has knocked down a bunch of other people in the process as well. He's got legitimate pop behind his punches. He can get on the feet and bang with you if he wants to. Or if the fight divulges into them. Absolutely, yes, he can. But that's not where he needs to be against somebody that is on the feet as better than him as Volkanovski. So that's where Volkanovski needs to keep this fight. If he can keep this on the feet, deny Islam the ability to get takedown advantages or rather get takedown opportunities. Surefire way to victory. But how will it go? I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. Truly, I don't know. I'm confident in what I can say for the Kamzat Chimaev fight versus Uzma. This fight, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. Because it's, it's, it's too close to call. Even with it being on less than two weeks' notice. 
Because we know Volkanovski doesn't take days off. He trains vigorously, relentlessly, never out of the gym. Consistently always ready for any opponent, which is why he was so game to take this fight. It wasn't like he wasn't prepared. It wasn't like he was out of shape nor out of practice. No, this man is ready to fight at any given point in time the second he gets a call. And yet still, there is a high possibility that we could see him take the rematch. If he builds off of what he did in the first fight. Which, again, many people feel he won the first fight. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's so up in the air. I've gone back and forth. I'm confident, speak my mind, and then going back and thinking about it. Maybe, maybe I'm, I don't know. I really don't know. But on this channel, we make predictions. We stand on what we claim. If I'm standing on who I think is going to win, I think it's going to be Islam. If I have to pick, I'll pick Islam. Because of the nature of how the first fight went, even with how hotly contested it was, how close and controversial it was, I don't think we're going to be able to see Volk Keep Islam away from getting ground control. Getting his grappling ability. I don't. Now all that could change at a, mo at a moment's notice. If we see Volkanovski catch Islam coming in on the inside. Boom. Oh this fight may be over. Immediately. Absolutely. We could see that happen. But. If we don't. We could see a situation where Islam. Struggles in the first couple rounds. First two rounds struggles to get grappling offense done. Volkanovski's having success. But then once we see Volk get that one takedown opportunity. And it's successful with it. Changes the whole dynamic of the fight. I don't think he gives it up. I don't even think he necessarily goes for committed submissions. He takes them as they evolve. While they're on the ground. But he doesn't. Try to go for it, go for it, go for it. He just sustains control. And that'll be the story of the fight for the rest of the night. Islam picks up on an opening, takes advantage of it for the next three rounds, keeps ground control, and retains his title. Implication of that being incredible. If he beats the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world two times, while he's at his peak. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Historically incredible. If that's the case. But when that fight happens. It's going to be such an exciting affair to see. But it's hotly contested. It's really tough for me to pick. Who I think is going to win. But if I have to pick. I'm picking Islam. Probably by. In this case split decision. Not unanimous. Split decision in this situation. But we will see on the night of the fight. But with that being said, this has been another episode of the Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Remember, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, share the show with everybody that you know so we can build this empire together. Also, we're available on every podcasting app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
you name it, we're on it. Rate us five stars so we can get this show out there absolutely. Yeah, start getting some sponsors in on this show. No doubt about it. Also, don't be don't remember to listen to The Neutral Corner with Jean-Luc Rush, an ESPN podcast on every podcasting platform so that you can listen to all the exclusive fighting news in the combat sports world beyond what we talk about on this show here on The World Triple. But keep it locked right here for all future episodes. Be safe, peace, and love. We are out of here.